0: Okay, normally I have a little button and it goes, or something like that, and then uh, we, we go into the intro, right? So, just pretend like the little intro thing is going, and here we go. Right. Labor Day, 1949. A 28-year-old World War II veteran named Howard Unruh left the home he shared with his mother in Camden, New Jersey, sometime in the early evening to head across the Delaware River to the Family Theater in Philadelphia to meet a date. Traffic held him up. And when he arrived over 20 minutes late, he found that his date had left and he proceeded to sit through three showings of the double feature that evening. I cheated the law and the lady gambles. When he finally arrived back at his home sometime after 3 a.m., he found that his newly installed back gate had been broken. And when he got out the next morning, he would take a 10-minute stroll through his neighborhood, killing 13 and wounding many others, making him the very first widely known spree killer in American history. So break out your Kermit Impressions. And your bulletproof vests Because today we're discussing Howard Unruh And his infamous walk of death
1: It's evil! Don't touch it! It's alive! I watch you
0: Back hopping to get you The power of Christ This is me Hello Mr. Fancy
1: Okay, so those are, those are a couple minor things that really set him off. I, mean, I think was-
0: that was just the thing that broke he- the camel's back, man. Um, right. This is weird. We're doing this on the STS sessions, the 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 live stream. Uh, basically, so we can pe- let people know that we do a live stream once a week, uh, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on Facebook Live and also on YouTube Live. Uh, our channels are, you can find it at HMFPPOD. Um but yeah, this one is uh he's technically not the first spree killer or first mass suicide, you know, shooter like but he's the first widely known. Um he got
1: some numbers up there in ten minutes, that's for sure. I was sure. gonna say,
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh he was he was a pretty good shot. Uh and you'll find out why in a in a just a wee bit here. So, thank goodness so. Elliot Rogers was not. Hey <laughs> dear. Hey ho. Hey ho Yeah. Um, so I'm going to start off just by going through his background and give you a little information on his rising, you know, the he was rise and whatnot. So Howard Barton Unruh was born on January 21st, 1921 to his parents, Samuel Shipley Unruh and Frida E. Vollmer. Uh, he was the oldest of two children. Uh, his brother James being born in 1924. So they weren't that far apart, just three years apart unlike most of the uh other children that we've done in the past like as far as serial killers and stuff like that he had a pretty uneventful childhood uh i'm saying oh way too much again you're supposed, hey, well, to, you're supposed to give me shit about that
1: it's the same thing with elliot rogers though his childhood was freaking amazing and he yeah just yeah lost a it.
0: spoiled spoiled little bitch
1: um yeah, was, he see, i'm gonna make him mad all over howard
0: me. wasn't spoiled um he was a little bit below average as far as everything goes. As an infant, he didn't walk or talk until he was 16 months old. Uh, I think potty training took a little bit longer than it probably should have as well, from what I understand. But as far as like his younger brother was concerned, there was no sibling rivalry. Uh, neither of the boys were like beaten, had any sort of corporal punishment you know, bestowed upon them. Uh, most of the time when they got in trouble, they were just sent to the rooms. And that's not really any punishment at all i mean that's basically what i have to do to my kids now take their and it
1: certainly away. isn't anymore because my kids got like a video game station in there that's got like eight thousand video games so you gotta on take it.
0: that shit away matt you're not <laughs> supposed to let him have that <laughs> the only real thing that howard went through when he was a child was uh when he was nine years old his parents separated and at the time divorce separations it was pretty rare um but his, I guess his parents had a really bad marriage and they bickered constantly. His dad worked on a boat for uh, the American Dredging Company. So he was on a boat, you know, away from home for long periods of time and he didn't really provide anybody in the family any real companionship. And I guess he really didn't make much money either. So he wasn't really providing for his family. Um, so he and his brother were raised by his mom. Uh, after his mom and dad split, and she went to work on an assembly line at the Evanson Soap Factory to support her, her children. Uh, during his adolescence,
1: Derek Finley sent a message that said, I've got some shit on my hat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Cardinal fans. Oh, shit. So during his adolescence, he kept to himself. He, he never really brought friends home, and he spent most of his time building model trains, collecting stamps, and reading his Bible. Uh, his only real social activity other than going to school was attending his local Lutheran church, and most of his grades in high school were average at best. I think the highest grades that I found on any report card that anyone has on file was like a B. I think he got like Cs and mental alertness well, so he probably he was definitely not the sh- the shiniest rock in the pile but he wasn't a dumbass either
1: right and some kids learn different and if it doesn't catch your interest
0: you're just yeah but i mean he's a fucking nerd i mean i mean he looked the part <laughs> everything like wire rim glasses this freakishly high forehead he's really tall really thin and super shy uh, the only uh school activity mentioned in his High school yearbook, I guess, was he was a member of the the science club. So, nerd alert.
1: Okay. You know? Uh, Back then, anyway, those dudes are badasses now. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. (laughs) When he graduated in 1939, he briefly went to work at several blue-collar jobs. Uh, Let's see. One was he was a printer's helper for a while, stamping press operator, and a sheet metal worker until he enlisted in the army on October 27th, 1942. Now, from here, he kind of turns into a badass. Um, He was a crewman in the uh, 342nd Armored Air Battalion throughout the Europe uh, campaign from October 1944 to July 1945. He was knee-deep in the shit, and that was one of Patton's battalions. So a gentleman named Chow Allred... Uh, who served with him throughout this time stated that there was no time he did not conduct himself in an intelligent quiet courteous obedient manner his character was above reproach his rating as a soldier was excellent and he was at all times a credit to his outfit even under the most trying conditions while in conflict against the enemy okay nothing but praise yeah he
1: wasn't a skirt chaser
0: no Definitely not a skirt chaser. Uh, Let's see. uh, Oh, he wasn't joining in with the boys. No, 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 No. not at all. His section chief, Norman Cohen, uh, Cohen stated as a first he was a first class officer who never drank, swore, or chased girls. Uh, During much of World War Two, during this time in Europe, soldiers were encouraged to visit brothels, some of which were set up by army commanders because they thought it was good for the morale.
1: Blow Uh, off a little steam.
0: Patton was quoted as saying, if they don't fuck, they don't fight. So he wanted to make sure these guys got laid, because then they would fight, you know? Uh, But Andre never partook in any of these extracurricular activities. Instead, he spent most of his free time reading his Bible and writing long letters to his mother.
1: Oh, boy. We're getting into another mother thing, huh?
0: He also kept meticulous uh, meticulous notes on all of the enemies that he had killed in battle, including the time, date, place, and details of the corpses, whenever possible.
1: Okay, there's red flags flying. Out. <laughs> now
0: they're starting to see. Now, <laughs> yeah, now you're so. starting to see some flags. Okay. Uh, like I stated before, mm-hmm. this unit was part of General George Patton's Third Army. They took part in unit uh, in many battles throughout Europe, including the Battle of the Bulge. So, I mean, that's that's pretty. Deep in the shit man uh, that's big time he saw some uh serious action uh he never advanced past the the rank of private first class though um but he did receive the european theater of operations medal victory medal and good conduct medal so
1: so he was doing his job yeah
0: he went out there and he fucking killed people like he was supposed to and i guess you know when you're fighting a war you want you want good killers on your side i guess right that's,
1: yeah you do <laughs> I just don't think that leaves you.
0: <laughs> yeah. So after he was uh, honorably discharged at the end of the war, he returned to New-, New Jersey to live with his mother in a three-room apartment in Kramer Hill, a small neighborhood of business made of businesses and family homes in East Camden, New Jersey.
1: Zach loves stories from New Jersey. He can't get enough.
0: Fucking Jersey, man. <laughs> it's all about Jersey. clerks, man. It goes back to clerks. Who's, you know? who's the devil? <laughs> How many dicks? Try not to suck any dicks on your way to the bathroom.
1: 37.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So he briefly went uh, back to work as a sheet metal worker again, uh, and he enrolled in Temple University School of Pharmacy in Philadelphia. But he quit after like a month, and he moved back in with his mom, who supported him uh, by her income working at the soap factory. And he did this for the next three years. He just hung around the house. He would decorate his room with all his medals. You know, he's got all these warm memor- memorabilia that he brought back from that he smuggled in. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, he'd read his Bible, and then he also would practice okay. with his nine millimeter Luger pistol he bought for thirty-seven fifty from a pawn shop in the basement where he had set up a shooting range, the basement <laughs> I, of his house.
1: I hope I hope he had some really good headphones to wear because that <laughs> was devastatingly loud in a
0: now, he had no friends, he had no ambition to get a job, spent most of his time in his room, like I said, playing with the bayonets on the wall, ashtrays made from the German shells, and other shit that he smuggled home. He he dated a girl for like two years during this time from the Bible study, and then he suddenly just broke things off with her unexpectedly, telling her he had no interest in marriage.
1: Oh, she was getting too serious, getting clammy? Yeah,
0: like the entire time they dated, he never held her hand, uh, or even tried to kiss her, what a Two gentleman. Years. Something like that. Two years. He might be a fancy lad. I was going to say he's not
1: into girls at all, is he?
0: No. His his neighbors found him particularly peculiar, not very friendly, but he, they thought he was harmless. He's like, fucking nerd. So over time, Under got in his head. He convinced himself that these people were all talking badly about him behind his back. And calling him a parasitic mama's boy, and a queer. Oh boy! But the truth was, he was a queer. He was gay. Okay. But at this time, it was illegal, so you, you had to hide it. And that you know, I can't imagine. I mean, we've come a long way, baby. That's all I can say. Uh, he did. He would travel to Philadelphia like two or three times a week for random hookups with anonymous people that he didn't know. He even started renting a room by the week in Philadelphia specifically for these encounters. And he also kept a diary of all these encounters, just like his kill diary. So he's got a kill
1: diary and a sexual conquest diary.
0: Yes. When it was discovered later, uh, the papers would refer to these diaries as records of, quote, social contacts with other men, unquote. And he continued to fuel his little paranoia. Uh, he started another diary, and it kind of reminds me of Billy Madison, kind of a little bit. You remember when he calls up Steve Buscemi? He's like, "Man, I'm yeah. really sorry about all that shit," and he's like crosses his name off the list. People to kill list. Yes, he oh. he, he had a uh, Unruh had he had made a list like this. That is quite the diary. This list of grievances from his neighbors, the druggist who lived next door to him, Maurice Cohen. Was at the very top of this lift. Uh, Maurice and his wife Rose had complained about Unruh listening to the radio with the volume up too loudly late at night. But because his hearing
1: was shot from firing off that nine millimeter down in the basement. <laughs>
0: he was listening to fuck. He was listening to classical music. It's not like he was like blaring like rock and roll or jazz. You know, it's just classical music he was playing. But I guess yeah, okay. their kid uh, played bugle at odd hours as well because he'd gotten a bugle. His their their kid had gotten a bugle for Christmas and. He complained about, you know, the kid playing the bugle too loud and stuff, and they never did anything about it, so he just... you play turned. a bugle quietly, though? I don't, I don't really can. Not I don't think so. Not, not unless you go outside and, you know, m- bury it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They also bitched about him leaving the back gate open, which he used to get into the, the apartment that he lived in, mm-hmm. so they kind of shared a backyard, and I guess they kept saying you know they keep leaving the damn gate open and all these stray dogs keep getting into the garbage can you please shut the fucking gate right and i guess it became so heated between them that under his mother she fired she finally got a, a local dude to come in and install another gate specifically so harold could use that one to enter their house so i think that's the gate that that was the final straw for him when he came home
1: yeah okay
0: now, there were lots of other people on this list as well. Uh, Thomas Segrino, he was the neighborhood tailor, had supposedly spread rumors about Ungra's homosexual activities. Uh, I believe he said something along the lines of he, found, he saw him uh, 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 blowing a guy in an alley or something in Jersey. He didn't, he didn't like that at all. Then the barber, Mark Hoover, had dumped dirt beside Ungra's house uh, while he was doing construction and that caused his basement to flood so that screwed up his shooting range so that pissed him off then there was the cobbler down the street uh, john pillarcheck who had tossed trash into his backyard and dominic latello the owner of the restaurant across the street from uh, his house he referred to him as a gun toting gangster which was not a cool thing back then okay so Oh, well, let's see. There's more. Uh, there's this teenage kid named Carl Sorg uh, who stole power from Unger's basement to light up the trees he sold during uh, Christmas time uh, so he could light up the trees that he sold in the vacant lot behind the apartment that they lived in.
1: He just spliced into his shit.
0: <laughs> yeah, and beside all these people's names, he had made this all these little notes like uh, R-E-T-W-T-S, retaliate when time suitable, or he would put D-N-D-R, do not de- delay retaliation. Were
1: they in a ranked order of first one? No, I like, think
0: it was just like he would just write down every every little thing that happened under like like he'd give him a page or you know like three or four pages and like every time they pissed him off he'd just add it to the list and be like oh yep retaliate when time's suitable. Okay. So he stood on all this shit for like two years while he just continued to live off his mom, shoot shoot in the basement and Shh, the basement. plot against all these people that had tried to tarnish his character. And it all came to a boiling point on that night I mentioned in the intro, Monday, September 5th, 1949. He drove to the aforementioned family theater, which was a well-known pickup spot for gay men at the time uh, in Philadelphia to hook up with one of his little special friends. Okay. But he was late because of traffic. And when, by the time he got there, the man he'd hoped to meet there was gone
1: You'd think he would have learned to be more punctual. I mean, seriously, Let's. Uh well He was you know, busy installing a gate.
0: Traffic is traffic. That's true. So uh so he got there, the man's gone, and so he just sits, he sits down and he, he proceeds to sit through three showings of a double feature. And he just stewed the whole time feeling dejected, you know, like God damn it, you know. So when he finally gets home around three AM, he finds that this newly installed gate broken, and he just automatically assumed that the Cohens had probably broke it out of spite. <clears throat> but, in fact, it was some local kids that had actually done it, and this wasn't discovered until after. So, Howard decides he's going to go up to his room, and he lays down in his bed, and he just kind of stares at the ceiling, and he plots what he's going to do the next day. He just decides, yep, that's it. Fuck it. So he dozes off, and then in the you know, it's it's got to be four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. At eight o'clock, his mom's free. His mom, Frida, you know, she calls him down for breakfast. She'd made him his usual fried eggs and post toasties. Sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. Yuck. Uh, and he came downstairs, fully dressed in his best suit, white shirt, and he's got a little bow tie on. You know, he's looking pretty pretty slick. Mm-hmm. And he just sat down and quietly, ate his breakfast, and then his mom kind of, you know, she seems. He looks a little off, she thinks, you know. And he finishes his breakfast. and A little wild in the eyes, maybe? <laughs> a little bit, yeah, a little distant, like he's just not all there. And he just walks out of the room, walks downstairs to the basement. He grabs a heavy lead pipe, returns back upstairs, goes to the living room, calls his mom. When she comes into the room, he raises the pipe above his head like he's going to just kill her right there. And she goes, what do you want to go and do that for, Howard. Now, what do you want to go and do with that for, Howard? And she, like, quickly just keeps backing away to, from him, and she gets to the door, and she runs out of the house. That's not and, terrifying at all. Not at all. <laughs> well, what do you want to go and do with that for, Howard? So Howard uh, goes back up to his room at this point, grabs his Luger 9mm, uh, 9mm pistol, uh, an extra clip, stuffs about 33 extra cartridges into his pockets before he left the apartment, Headed to the local shoe store. He thought about this all, you know, for a few hours there. And he decided if he was going to do this. He was probably going to have to wait until at least 9 a.m. in the morning to do it. Because he knew. So if people waited, are out. Yeah. He knows everybody's working. The shops are all going to be open at that point. It's going to be a lot easier to get this done. So begins the walk of death, as it is referred to. At 9.30 a.m., 27-year-old John. Pillar chick was nailing a sole to a shoe when Unra entered his store, walked up to him, and without saying a word, shot him in the stomach and then the head. Never said a word, just shot him, turned around, walked out of the shoe store, and headed next door to the barbershop that Clark Hoover owned. Hoover was cutting the hair of a six year old boy named Oris Smith who sat on one of those carousel horses. Before his first day of school, which was the following day. He was going to get a haircut, you know. Wouldn't look good for a first day of school. So, Unruh calls out to Hoover and he says, I've got something for you here, Clarkie. Before shooting Hoover in the head and the boy in the neck. Both fatally.
1: Why do you always do episodes like this? Every hey, time.
0: Man, I'm trying to get you back, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> now, the boy's mother's sitting right there the whole time this is going on. And she's screaming and runs to grab her boy, and Unruh just turns and ignores her as she runs with her son out the door behind him. He just casually walks out, makes his way up the block towards the Cohen's pharmacy. So the boy lives? No. The boy was dead already. Oh. When he got to the front door of the pharmacy, uh, Unra encountered this insurance salesman named James Hutton, who he had a policy with, by the way, and he's mm-hmm. walking out the door, and you know, Unruh's sitting there, he's holding a gun, and he says to this Mr. Hutton, he says, excuse me, sir. And Hutton freezes because he's like, holy shit, this guy's got a gun. And because he didn't move out of the way, just instantaneously, he just shoots him in the chest and then just walks over his body into the into the pharmacy. <sighs> so okay. the gunshot alerts the Coens, and they run up the back stairs to their apartment above the pharmacy. So Unruh makes his way to the rear store. He sees the Cohen running up the stairs in their apartment. Once they get into the apartment, uh, uh, Cohen climbs through a window onto the porch roof, and his wife Rose hid herself and their son, 12-year-old Charles, in separate closets. Uh, Unruh immediately discovered Rose hiding in a closet, shot through the door three times in the closet before opening it up again and shooting her one more time in the head. He walks across the apartment. He sees Cohen's mother, Minnie, age 63. She's sitting there trying to dial the police, so he shoots her in the face. Then he looks and sees Cohen outside the window and shot him in the back through the window, causing him to fall off the roof onto the pavement, dead. Now Charles, the younger, the, their son, he's still hiding in the, in the other closet, and he never is detected by Unruh. Thank God. And here's the most fucked up, scary shit. I, I kind of got chills when I found this out. Six years later, uh, Charles's granddaughter, Carly Novell, she would survive a mass shooting at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, by hiding in a closet just like her grandfather did. Oh, I got chills too. when just said that, yeah. that is fucking crazy, isn't it? Oh. Who taught you how to do that? Oh, I learned that from Grandpa. Yeah. That's pretty weird. So at this point, Unruh walks back down the stairs of the pharmacy, puts a new clip in his pistol, casually makes his way towards Thomas Agrino's tailor shop. Now, as soon as as soon as soon he comes out of the pharmacy, he's facing River Road. And when he went to cross River Road, a car driven by 24-year-old uh, Alvin Day, who was a World War II veteran too and a TV repairman, he slows down because he sees uh, the insurance guy, James Hutton, his body is just laying outside the pharmacy. And he's just sitting there you know, dead on the ground. The guy's like, what the fuck? So, when he slows down, uh, Unruh just walks up to the driver's side of the car real casually and just shoots him in the head through the passenger window. At this we'll point, st- there's a few other guys on the side of the street that went witness this particular shooting. Uh, they're all standing outside this neighborhood bar owned by Frank Engel. And, you know, as soon as UNRA sees them, he fires several shot- shots in their direction, and they dove back inside the bar for cover. Then Unra fires into an apartment window when he sees a curtain move, and he continues to make his way towards the tailor shop. Now the curtain moving was two-year-old Thomas Hamilton, who'd opened the front window curtain to see what the noise was coming from, and when he did so, he was struck by gunfire and died instantly.
1: Okay, this is the worst
0: episode so far. You're welcome. He told me to raise it up. Here we go. <laughs> now, uh, Irene Rice, who was uh, the boy's caregiver, she collapsed immediately when she saw this, and she was treated for shock. Uh, yeah, probably for the rest of her life. Yeah. Think. Now, Unruh would later claim he didn't know who he saw in the window. It was more like he just saw movement, and it was you know just an automatic response to shoot, and he didn't know that he'd, he'd killed that boy.
1: I don't all think right, he cared because so... he killed a he killed one earlier. He didn't give yeah. a shit about it, and there's no way he didn't know that that was a child. He shot in the throat. Yeah, so fuck this guy. I don't care what he says.
0: I want you to know all these events take place. This is all in like a 12 minute period that this what, all was, happens. Was he's wa- was he's it, walking casually the whole was time. It he's
1: falling it. down. Was that the name of the movie where the guy just Michael Douglas? Loo- Michael Douglas loses his mind and yeah yeah
0: yeah. So Unra, he's he's making his way to Thomas Zagrino's tailor shop. Thomas had left the tailor shop to run an errand, leaving his wife, 28-year-old Helga, there to watch the store while he was away. So when Unra entered through the front door with the gun raised, <coughs> excuse me, uh, she pleads for her life, but he didn't say a word. He just shot her twice. Boom, boom. And then just turns around and exits the tailor shop. And then in a split-second decision, he decides he's going to head to the grocery store on the corner to kill the owner, Earl Horner even though he wasn't on the list. He's just like, well, you know.
1: I'm that- I'm here. I'm this close. You're walking. We're going you know,
0: this way. Might so as well. Right there. I remember that one time when he gave me shit because he thought, you know, because I said they'd shortchanged me or something like that. So he's like, fuck it. I'm going to take him out too. But when he gets there, the the doors are locked because by this time, everybody had heard the gunshots. Mm-hmm. People are freaking out. So he just shoots several times to the front door of the grocery store. Before he sees a car waiting at the red light at the intersection of River Road and 32nd Street. So Honor walks up to that car and just shoots the three occupants in that vehicle Hellion Wilson, 37, her son, John, 9, and mother Emma Matlick, 68. The two women died instantly. The boy would die 18 hours later at Cooper Hospital from the gunshot wound to his neck. Having fun yet, Matt? Nope. Nope. You Good. win. You win. All right. Yeah, this one was hard to get through, by the way. Yeah, it's really hard to listen to. Uh, so next, Unruh fired at the house behind his apartment, owned by a 37-year-old woman named Madeline Harry. Uh, then he just walked up the front door, which was open, walked into the kitchen where Madeline was sitting there with her two sons, Armand and uh, I think it's Leroy. Uh, she'd not been on his list either, but he just fired three shots at her. Uh he hit her at once in the arm. The other two kind of went wild. Disappoint, her son Armando lit, leapt up towards Unra, and Unra just hit him over the head with the butt of the gun, dropping him to his knees before he shot him in both arms. And then he aimed the gun at his chest and pulled the trigger. But at this point, the gun was empty. So he turns around, walks out of the house, reaches into his pockets for more rounds, but he realizes he's... Spent. He's shot all of the rounds he brought. Now, during the time that Unra entered the Harry's home, Frank Engel, the guy who owned the bar, he had run upstairs to his apartment, which was above his bar, grabbed his 38 revolver, gone to the second story window of his apartment, and shot. He shot at Unra as Unra went back towards his apartment, and he actually hit him. But he hit oh, him he did it. with a 38 Oh, but he hit him in the ass. Good. Fucking yeah. eat it. Um, so, at the time, he didn't know that he'd, he'd hit him at all because Under never slowed, never picked up his pace. He just kept moving.
1: He just took a thirty-eight to the ass and just kept walking like it was nothing. Yeah. The dude was just dead inside at this point.
0: Wasn't he? Well, it gets better. Or worse. That's, that's, that's pretty much all of the killing. Okay. Okay. So, Under hears <laughs> the police sirens in the distance, returns to his apartment around 9.43. A.M. This is 13 minutes after he'd left his apartment. So in 13 it's minutes. So quick. Yeah. He killed all these people. He proceeded to barricade himself in his room, laid in his bed while he was quickly surrounded by upwards of 50 police officers, all carrying pistols, shotguns and submachine guns, all aimed at his bedroom window. We told you we'd do an episode with a good police force. Yeah.
1: 13 it, minutes later and they're surrounded the place. The only thing they oh, did yeah. wrong
0: is they didn't shoot this motherfucker right then and there. Um yeah, I
1: think that's frowned upon if he's not yeah. actually firing at them. <laughs> yeah.
0: So when the cops called out for for under to surrender, gunshots ensued. Oh. And uh by this time the word had pretty well gotten out. And you know around this time a lot of press hung out in police stations. Yeah. And when Uh, this particular journalist, his name was, uh, Philip Buxton heard this come across on the radio. He immediately grabbed a phone book and just looked up Harold under on the phone book. And name
1: address right there.
0: Yeah. So he dialed it. So through all these gunshots, under could hear his phone ringing and it was Philip Buxton calling him. Uh, under answered it. In what uh, Buxton described as a strong, clear voice, and this is the conversation that ensued. This, this is, by the way, this was the weirdest. This is, he said, this is the strangest interview I ever had. That's what Philip Buxton said.
1: Yeah, I guess it
0: probably would be. So I we want something like this. Howard answers and says, "Hello," in a monotone, in a really monotone voice. Is this Howard? Yes. What's the name of the party you want? Unra. Then there's a pause. What's the last name of the party you want? Unra? I'm a friend, and I want to know what they're doing to you. They're not doing a damn thing to me, but I'm doing plenty to them. How many have you killed? I don't know yet because I haven't counted them, but it looks like a pretty good score. Why are you it's killing It's a fucking game, like huh? Yeah, I don't know. I can't answer that yet. I'm too busy. And at this point, Buxton hears Unra move away from the phone, as you know, gunfire was heard in the background, so he's, like, ducking for cover at this point. And then uh, then Unruh picks the phone back up and says, I'll have to talk to you later. A couple of friends are coming to get me. So, and this was all clear, monotone. Just calm, calm as can be. Calm, calm as could be. Now, this, uh, this gunfight finally ended when police threw two tear gas bombs into Unruh's apartment window. I guess the first one didn't go off the second one's the one that went off and it filled the room with gas so at this point under you know calls out surrenders two armed officers uh, patrolman charles hance and captain everett jocelyn they go up to the first floor of the building and shouted come down with your hands up and then under says you know I, I give up don't shoot under emerges from the room stumbles down the stairs fell at the feet of these officers and was handcuffed by one sergeant earl wright uh <sighs> they so, didn't like beat cop- him
1: or anything a little. They didn't
0: they oh, I'm sure him they, up? I'm sure they I'm sure they roughed him up a little bit. I would be surprised if they didn't. The, the, they just the didn't account for upstairs. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well done once again with this lost the, They lost the paperwork on that one. <laughs> Oops. Oops, Daisy. So they go upstairs and find an arsenal of weapons. Uh there's a machete he purchased from LL Bean with the only intention of purchasing was uh, purchasing it was to decapitate the Coens he wanted to cut their heads off with it Mm -hmm. that guns knives bullet making equipment more than 700 rounds you know and in a drawer there were all these marksmanship medals in the basement there's his target range on the table there's his Bible open to Matthew chapter 24 and I don't know if you've read Matthew chapter 24 but that's the one that talks about the end of days so, uh, they also found his diaries of homosexual encounters, and they also found the diaries of all the grievances he had. Okay. Now, because of all, you know, this commotion, 50 cops showing up, there's this huge crowd that had gathered around, and they're I'm all sure, cursing at yeah. him. And, you know, they're all saying, Lynch this fucking asshole. Exactly.
1: It's 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 actually probably a good thing there was so many cops because of the people being there. Yeah, because of it, yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: And as he's hauled off to be put in a police car, one of the officers asked him, what the hell's the matter with you? Are you a psycho? And he responded with, I'm not a psycho. I've got a good mind. I've got a good brain. I got me one of them fancy brains. And this is where we uh, take a drink because my throat's... I don't know about you, man, but my taxidologies are killing me right now. Little Nuts. That's worse than anyone I've done. I know. This one was pretty rough. Absolutely. This one terrible. was really, really rough. Uh, Your sister says, sounds like this guy has some uh, separation issues yeah. from the dad leaving. Blames his mom and mentally turns against women. Just my premature mental psychological evaluation. Not well, he part. certainly
1: turned against women, but that was... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just a... He just didn't care he was who. Just he was. Just a going.
0: little fucked up from his time in the military. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well. Anyway, back
1: to the story. But it almost seemed like he was enjoying it if he was writing it down and. I think that was he was, he was
0: just very methodical. I think everything. OCD's had to be, a bitch. Yeah, he certainly is. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> You're talking to the guy that sent you both the, exactly what I'm doing, so you can keep along and let me know if I'm fucking it up. What are you talking about? Uh, so they go back to the police station under his question and he gives a statement for two hours beginning at 10 AM. And he offered a detailed, cold, dry confession that was so long that by with the final transcript ran 66 pages. Uh, if, if he, when he was asked if he knew what he had done, he responded that, yep. And I deserve the electric chair. And that this idea had been brewing for a year or so after the people on this list had began butting into his business and saying things that were detrimental to his character. Don't want the rag either when you strap him in. Yeah. I mean, he would, he went as far as to say, you know, like, you know, I decided to wait until 9am because I knew by that time, most of these people, their shops would be open and it would be easier to get this done quickly. Uh, When he was asked about all the children, he seemed to be pretty oblivious to having shot any of them, and he seemed really detached. Like, he, he answered, like, uh, really coldly. Uh, he said the only one he had intended to shoot was the teenage boy, and that was only because he was getting in the way trying to protect his mother. Uh...
1: The one he shot in the neck in broad daylight outside of the no, store. No, this is the kid he shot in both No, arms but I mean... Then went, yeah, so he didn't remember that or he... No,
0: didn't, he's, he claimed yeah. to not remember it. And then he was like, hmm, I guess I do feel sorry for killing the children, but no remorse for, like, just, just completely cold. Uh, just, he, he described it, like, in a clinical manner, like he was just doing an autopsy, you know, just, like, kind of fucked up. He's just a monster. Yep, just a monster. It wasn't until... Unner gets up from this chair after this questioning to be led to a cell that officers see that this chair is covered in blood. So for two hours, he had sat there for two hours and given exquisite detail and recounted all this shit without showing any signs of pain. Just completely numb. And that is what convinced the district attorney that he was probably... Terribly insane. It no had be, shit. Had to be nuts. So, uh, a a really thirty-eight to the cell, ass, just, Don't yeah. even acknowledge. I guess it. I guess the bullet lodged. It like went in his ass, and it got lodged like in his femur. So it went into his leg. It sounds leg painful. Button. Yeah, it, I'm sure it was it's a thirty-eight caliber too. We're not yeah. talking about twenty-two.
1: It's, it's not a small
0: yeah, a twenty-two is still exceptionally painful. Oh, I'm well, sure. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, I'm sure. So, uh, Unra was taken to his cell while hospital arrangements were made at Cooper Hospital. wasn't didn't take very long. That's the only time he would ever serve in jail. What? Yep, at Cooper Hospital, his wound was tended to. Police were placed uh, beside his door, and he was in an isolated room. Uh, at this point, five different physicians interviewed Unruh at his bedside over the next twenty four hours. During these interviews under confessed to the doctors that he had intended to kill his mother that day as, as well, not wanting her to live through the pain his crimes would cause her. He showed no signs of remorse, regret, none of it for anything he'd done. Uh, when the doctors were finished questioning him, uh, the press was allowed to come in and take pictures and under cooperated with photographers. Like, you know, they told him to move his head and he would do so. Uh, Out of all these five doctors, only one of the doctors who interviewed him that day found him to be of sound mind. The other four thought he should probably go to more extensive psychiatric testing, which he did. Um, When he was well enough to be released from Cooper Hospital, which was a little bit later that day, he was transferred uh, to the New Jersey Mental Hospital of Trenton under heavy guard, where he was to remain for a minimum of six to eight weeks. Uh... Where he was visited twice daily by psychiatrists. Um, after being subjected to every psychological test known at the time, on October 5th, it was thought that Unruh was suffering from paranoid schizophrenia, a form of it anyway, and he was unfit to stand trial. He would never stand trial. He spent the remainder of his long life in the state hospital for the mentally insane in Trenton, New Jersey. Where he died on October 19th, 2009. Holy shit. Yeah, 88 years old. Charles Cohen, the boy that I wow, just told you, early, that told you earlier, told you earlier, was 12 years old at the time. Yeah. He actually died uh, September 4th that year. So he outlived Charles Cohen in the end, which is completely fucking weird. Oh,
1: this sucks. So Charles yeah. Cohen also was buried. On September 6th, 60 years after the mass murder that he survived.
0: Yep. Yep. <gasps> now, there was there was a War Trophies Division um, that kind of headed by the NRA that doubled down immediately after this walk of death. Uh, all these guys that had been in World War II that brought all these trophy firearms over Uh, It was strongly urged for them to turn those in to be deactivated and then it would be returned. A lot of these fucking guys brought back grenades, landmines, and then, you know, they had all these small arms like, you know, pistols, lugers, and stuff like that. And I guess within three days of this shooting in New York City alone, 700 weapons were turned in. So, Hmm. uh,. Yeah, Unruh became known as the prototype for the lone wolf mass murderer, except for the fact that he didn't kill himself or try to commit suicide by cop at the end. That's and the plus only... he
1: didn't he didn't use one of the weapons that he brought back, right? He used one that he bought from a pawn shop. That is correct,
0: what? yeah. But he he still had all this other. But shit. he still had them. But yeah, he doesn't know what he, he used had other in the, weapons in your. He, he yeah. decided to use the Luger though because it was I guess it held more ammunition. And super the accurate. The clips held more, and he'd been practicing. Target practicing with that in the basement for two years, so he was pretty accurate acquainted with, it, with obviously. It. Yeah. Um, One of the best-known quotes given during a psychiatric interview with uh, Unruh was, uh, I'd have killed a 1,000 if I had enough bullets. God, Sounds like a sane guy, right? Both his brother and his father later indicated that his wartime experience changed him, made him movie, nervous, detached, more than likely, he was suffering from PTSD before PTSD was a thing. In the end, thirteen dead, five injured, in thirteen minutes. Uh, cool. He was a real he was a real POS.
1: Yeah, that's cr- that is so crazy fast too to just be walking and yeah. still get that much done. Well, I guess you're walking down Main be, Street, store to store to store. You'd have
0: to be mm-hmm. completely detached to do oh, yeah. anything Empty. like that.
1: So empty he couldn't feel a shot in his ass.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah, that's Harold Undra, the real piece of shit. I hear another and now word you know about my Bow, doo, doo, doo. <laughs> <Okay>. story. I <laughs> so, I gotta lighten it up a little bit. I, <laughs> every, every fucking that story was hard. you
1: do, he dives on my ass. <laughs> so many kids in this. Uh, God. Well, I figured it was your turn, man. Oh, yeah, well. Trying to spice
0: it up a little bit. I got
1: punished on that one.
0: Uh, you guys got anything else?
1: Well, I, I would like to say that I got a little package here for the next person that writes in or comes on and tells us a story that's something that happened to them because we got some,
0: got,
1: we got what some things. What you got? We got some things to give away if you're Holy uh,
0: shit, is that a Doris beer koozie? It is a Doris beer koozie. That's pretty badass.
1: And uh, if you want to- Oh, sweet. A little, Doris beer in your coffee.
0: Coffee cup? Um, <laughs> nice <laughs> mug here. <laughs> nice. Coffee. Nice.
1: That sounds amazing.
0: Amaze balls. You know, you coffee your, and
1: everclear. There's probably a <laughs> picture. Coffee, coffee and everclear in is definitely a thing. Yeah. <laughs> coffee and beer? I don't I don't think so. <laughs> oh that yeah, but Doris beer is everclear. Oh oh yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah, that's it's everclear. Clear. In a can. Right on. Well, I think it would be fun uh, if listeners, too, if anybody has, like, written, a like, a short story. that's Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Listener liked, pasta. You know, love to hear it. Yeah. 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 That would be, be fun. Even, even if you want though, one of us to read it or if you want to come on and do it. I, I recommend we get Lindy to do the reading stuff because, as you can see, me and Matt both need to go to uh, Derek Zoolander's Center for Kids Who Can't Read Good and Stuff. <laughs> so... So, yeah, guys, um, we do the live stream. We call it uh, the STS sessions, which is short for shoot shit sessions uh, every Saturday on Facebook and on uh, YouTube live. uh, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, which is kind of screwed up for Lindy. I'm sorry about that. She's in a different time zone. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, you guys got anything else? Did I miss anything? No, you
1: nailed what you sent. No. Nailed it. All right. <laughs> nailed it. Well, I'm going to go cry <laughs> for a little bit. and then... <laughs> Maybe eat up some hot pockets or some
0: pizza pockets. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: That'll make careful, sense Matt. later, guys.
0: Don't, don't, uh, yeah. Just keep listening don't eat to those. Too fast. Fast. Make sure you let them cool down first, Matt. We don't want you to burn the roof of your mouth again. <laughs> burn
1: my vagina clothes.
0: <laughs> 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 right on. Uh, until next week. Uh, thanks for hanging out Thanks for continuing to like, rate, and review the podcast My name is Zach Over there we have Spar And then in the middle we've got Lindy And we will see you guys next Tuesday Until then Later Later
1: Later, later. It's evil
0: Don't touch it It's
1: alive I was it Zach
0: Get you power of this is me. Hello, Mr. Fancy Pants.
1: What's my line, Zach? What's my line? Give me my- <laughs>